This is the MyHeart.net podcast. This show is produced by Dr. Philip Johnson in conjunction with VitalEngine.com. Please welcome your host, Dr. Alain Bouchard of Cardiology Specialist of Birmingham, Alabama at St. Vincent's Medical Center, part of Ascension. So uh, welcome to our podcast, uh, and today uh, we're going to talk about the HDL cholesterol conundrum. Uh, with us, we have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Professor uh, John Castellan. He's a emeritus professor of medicine in the Department of Vascular Medicine uh, at the University of Amsterdam, and is chief medical officer at New Amsterdam Pharma, you know, in the Netherlands. And uh, John I want to appreciate you taking the time and uh, maybe shedding some light on this mystery of HDL cholesterol. Thank you, Alain. I'm honored to be here with you. Very good. So let's talk about HDL you know, cholesterol because um, you know, it's such an important uh, cholesterol lipoprotein because it's the good cholesterol. Uh, <clears throat> it seems like the more you have, the better it is. And when we want to calculate... Uh, the atherosclerotic risk, you know, over the next 10 years, you always factor in the total cholesterol and the HDL. And of course, you know, when your HDL is in the order of like 80 or 90, I mean, it seems like uh, the, the chance of getting a coronary event in the next 10 years is very low. It's very yeah. protective. Yeah. We know also that you, if you have very little HDL, and if you're a patient with a, a, abdominal obesity, uh, the, the so-called metabolic syndrome, you have low HDL, you have high triglyceride, you're hypertensive, you're pre-diabetic, uh, and your risk of getting a coronary event is quite high. Yes. So when you have a low HDL, it's usually you're at increased risk unless you're fortunate enough uh, to be part of this family in Northern Italy, <laughs> you know, where they have, they're blessed with the APOA1 Milano and yeah. they get to live to a hundred. But that's just yeah. about maybe three dozen, you know, in yeah. uh, in, in Solgarda in Italy. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit more, what is the HDL cholesterol and what's this fun? What is the function of HDL? So your introduction was absolutely perfect. Epidemiologically, high HDL is the strongest independent protector against heart disease and low HDL, the strongest independent risk factor for heart disease. And for example, when you wanna en enrich your trial population for high risk, you take low HDL people. Then you know you're gonna get a high event rate and everything else. Those two things made everyone believe that raising HDL would be fantastic, that that would be a good thing. The thing we forgot at that time is that if we raise HDL, we just raise HDL cholesterol. Um, and it was proven, and this was thanks to a CTP inhibitor trial called Dull Outcomes, where HDL cholesterol was raised by 40%, that it actually didn't do anything to heart attacks or strokes. So we now understand that. But... HDL cholesterol or HDL, when you measure that in an individual, it is becoming more and more likely that that's a reflection of good cardiovascular health. So it represents a lot of things. It represents, as you were saying, 
central obesity. It also represents, are you smoking or not? I mean, there are a gazillion, and then there's genetics into it. So there are a gazillion things determining your HDL and the things that lead to a high HDL are usually associated with less athero and a low HDL associated with more athero. Now we have, I was part of a team at the University of British Columbia a long time ago that cloned the ABCA1 gene with Michael Hayden. That gene actually is, the, is, the, uh, is coding for a protein that is called the cholesterol pump. That cholesterol pump is present on many membranes of many cells and important cells, macrophages, beta cells in your pancreas, on all sorts of immune cells. It's present in your brain in important cells in cholesterol metabolism, and it's also in your eye. And so that pump that sits on the outside of cells interacts with the major protein of HDL called ApoA1. ApoB is the, the B from bad, and the ApoA is the A from, and I don't know, I haven't, I've never found a word that could go with that, but that's a good protein. When ApoA in HDL, small HDL, interacts with ABCA1, it sucks cholesterol out of cells. And it's important to remember that as a human being, we cannot break down cholesterol. We don't have the machinery for that. Fungi can do it, but we can't. So we have to physically remove cholesterol. And HDL is very important for that, but not for heart attacks and strokes, but for example, very important for diabetes. There is more and more evidence that if you have type two diabetes and you convert from from non-insulin dependent to insulin dependent, that is because your beta cells are dying and they die because of lipotoxicity. There is sterols and oxysterols accumulating in the beta cell. And then the beta cell at a certain point in time gives up, can no longer produce insulin. And if you have a very active HDL system that can suck cholesterol out of beta cells, your beta cells are gonna live longer. And it's very interesting, we just wrote a meta-analysis of all CTP inhibitors, and they have 16 to 20% less new onset diabetes than the placebo. And so that is because CTP inhibition produces a small HDL particle that's very active in the beta cell. We also think in the brain and in the eye, by the way. Then there are extremely interesting data on HDL and septicemia. If you have sepsis and your HDL is high and you can keep it high, your chances of dying are like three to four times less than when your HDL nosedives, when you have bacteremia. So it's clear that evolution has given us the HDL system, not only to protect against excess sterile or excess cholesterol in cells, but also kind of as an absorption agent for endotoxins and bacteria. So HDL is much more than we originally thought. It's a, it is something that protects us against a heart attack. And if you raise it, it's easy, you'll get less heart attacks. So it's much more complex. Now, that is kind of the biology where we currently are. The epidemiology, unfortunately, in the last two or three years has reinvented this 
J-shaped curve between HDL and, for example, all-cause mortality. We knew about this like 30 years ago. And it's interesting, I'm long enough, and you too, we're long enough in this business to know sometimes that things have been invented 30 years ago and reinvented now. Now, one of the things you cannot study in an epidemiological study is elevated HDL cholesterol. And why can't you do that? Because alcohol abuse will raise HDL. Some agricultural toxins will raise HDL. And there are many things that you can do that will raise HDL that have a risk for other diseases. And what is linked in biology, you cannot dissociate with epidemiology. So all these studies that are now published are hopelessly confounded, um, you know, with residual bias. And I, you know, as fast as they appear in a journal, uh, the faster I throw them in my waste bin. It is, I mean, it's honestly so strange that a thing that is considered so good and is a reflection of good health when it's in the very high regions, which by the way, are only very few people, that you see all-cause mortality go, that is because these people have other things that lead to an increase in all-cause mortality. So we shouldn't let ourselves be distracted here. HDL is a fantastic particle that has multiple functions in our body that are all good for us. But we shouldn't be pediatric in our thinking and thinking that if we have like nicotinic acid or a fibrate, uh, raise HDL by 20%, that that's going to help us with heart attacks and strokes because it isn't. So well, that is yeah where we are currently. <laughs> very very so you mentioned so many important points, uh, John, uh, but it seems like it's more than just a number of HDL that really counts, and unfortunately that's all we measure in clinical practice. But it's the function of HDL that is yes. so crucial, you know, and. Um, Yes. And that function, uh, not only it serves like, um, uh, I guess, you know, HDL particle can be like a garbage truck, you know, taking all yeah. these bit, bad cholesterol, LDL, out of the system, you know. And, and, and the toxins also. Yeah, exactly right. But also but it's scavenge also, and the toxins. Yeah, and it works against inflammation, you know, yeah. so there's a lot of function. Do we, are we able to measure function of HDL in clinical practice, John? Yes, so it's interesting. Dan Rader is the true pioneer here, of course. He published a number of very important papers on cholesterol efflux. He linked less efflux with more heart disease, more abnormalities on the coronary angiogram. Uh, his essay is a cell-based essay, and therefore um, it is wonderful for studies and in the lab and in academia, but it's not really. So what we need is a high-throughput essay something that will not be necessary on a cell, but on a more on, on an in vitro testing system. And I know that NIH is working on that. Yeah. So hopefully we will get soon this efflux test in a more amenable kind of version. Right. I, I, Ellen, I wanted to add something that most people don't appreciate about HDL. So we, we, we talked about CTP inhibitors on another occasion and it was, it's always said very easily in the literature is that the HDL increase conferred by CTP gives you a constipated HDL or a dysfunctional HDL. So what we did is we took the reveal database that is anisotropib, the Merck CTP inhibitor, 
that was tested in 30,000 patients. That's the largest CVOT ever. We, that, that drug raised HDL by 100%. So if HDL raising would be dangerous, that trial would have told us that it's dangerous. So we took that Delta HDL, then we related it to all the side effects from the Medra basket. You know, the Medra terms give all the side. There was no association with that 100% increase and any safety. Interestingly, uh, and this we are further exploring this, it seems there is a relationship with all-cause mortality, a beneficial relationship, which was also seen with the Eli Lilly trial, where in fact, all-cause mortality was down on the Lilly CTAP inhibitor with a P of 0, 0 0.4, of 0 0.4. And so there is something that makes me think that when you raise HDL to that magnitude, there are other effects. Maybe it's the anti-diabetes effect or the anti-Alzheimer effect that contribute if you make the trial large enough to mortality in some other way. And I, I'm scientifically, that is currently what I'm working on the hardest to understand that. Yeah. Well, you you did mention um, you know some of the ways that we have to in increase HDL. Uh, a lot of times, you know, exercise, you know, will, will help, you know, increase HDL and will lower, you know, mortality. The effect is modest. You know, we've tried niacin, uh, it raised HDL somewhat moderately, but then had no effect on outcome. No. Uh, and uh, it seems like, you, you know, some of the best ways that we have may be uh, coming up in the future. And you did mention, obviously, uh, the advance in, in the development of the CTP inhibitor. Uh, you you're working with this new CTP inhibitor, relatively new, you know, I would say, uh, certainly with some new application, obesitropid, you know, at New Amsterdam Pharma. Uh, you, you did a trial that was, you know, so, so much from Amsterdam. Uh, it was called your phase two tulip, you know, trial, which was, yeah. you know, a study over uh, 300 patients. Yeah, uh, what was, yeah, what was very interesting to me, of course, you know, in that study, they had, uh, you did measure not only the HDL, I mean, HDL was increased by almost 150%. Uh, you had people walking around with HDL all above 100, you know, milligram per deciliter. And also you measured the efflux, you know, which is yes. really one of the function of HDL. It seems kind of so promising. And as you said, not so much by the fact that the HDL was high, but maybe by some of the effect of elevating the HDL on, on other targets like the diabetes. Uh, yeah. It's interesting is that what we now have also understood, um, which was never understood well before, is that the inhibition of, of CTP leads to the production of more HDL. So this is not just inhibiting the the, the transformation of HDL or the metabolism. No, it's increasing production. And it does that by increasing APOA1, the good apolipoprotein production, by 65%. So it's by far the most efficacious way of raising APOA1 in the circulation. And as you know, APOA1 comes out of the liver in a tiny HDL particle called pre-beta HDL. And in tulip, we measure that too. And the increase there was like 80% of that small pre-beta HDL and efflux was increased by about 30 to 40%. Now, um, 
as you know, there's a very important company called CSL Bearing that have recreated an HDL particle. I think in my, in my mind, I mean, very effectively. And they are now testing the infusion of that particle, which is mimicking the liver producing it in a very large trial called Aegis II. And that trial is now fully enrolled, that's public knowledge. And so we'll have to wait for the outcomes. But it's extremely interesting is that if that trial is positive, the whole HDL hypothesis will be revived, but not in the old fashioned way, raising HDL cholesterol with nicotinic acid, as you said, or fibrates, no, by actually mimicking the liver, producing small functional pre-beta HDLs. So who knows, maybe, you know, this, this whole thing will be turned on its head when the Aegis II trial will read out, which also will, will confirm that the HCL particle that you get by inhibiting CTP is also a particle that actually can be functional and, and, and actually beneficial for a number of, of, uh, of diseases. Yeah. Finally solving the HDL conundrum? That, that might well be that actually, that you shouldn't work on HDL cholesterol at all, that that has nothing, but that you should work on the production of small functional HDL particles. Yeah, could be. Well, thank you yeah. very much, uh, John. I think that was uh, very, very interesting. And, uh, maybe kind of giving us a new perspective on the HDL. There's more than meets the eye. Uh, John yeah. Kesterlein from uh, the Netherlands, professor of medicine at the, uh, emeritus professor of medicine at the University of Amsterdam. Thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed this conversation. I enjoyed it too. And I thank you very much for this uh, wonderful time. To learn more from our team of cardiologists, please visit us at myheart.net. You can also follow us on social media by searching myheart.net on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next episode.